So this morning, um, I'm going to pray and then I'll introduce our topic. Lord Jesus, I just submit to you, Lord. Lord, if it wasn't for you, I've had nothing to say, Lord. If it wasn't for your word, Lord, there would be, there would be no authority with which we could speak, Lord. But thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that empowers your word, Lord. Thank you, God, that, that you anointed people to write down, Lord, these stories that we still uh, get such inspiration and wisdom and faith from. Thank you, Jesus, that you wrote these stories, Lord, and told these stories and did these deeds so many years ago. And yet today, we are still inspired and encouraged and our faith is energized as we read these stories. Thank you, Lord, that you've gone ahead of us and prepared the way for us for today in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I'm going to be speaking a message entitled, Where is your faith? And this is from Luke 8.28. And that's literally a question that Jesus put to his disciples. Where is your faith? Now, it's the story of where Jesus calms the storm, is in the boat. That's the context of it. But just stand alone. I mean, it's kind of a funny question, where is your faith? If you think about it, you know, it's like, you know, where's your faith? It's like, have you lost it? Have you misplaced it? You know, kind of, I can picture nearly, you know, Jesus saying to the disciples, where's your faith? And Pete turning to John and saying, uh, sorry, John... Uh, didn't I give it to you? Uh, Andrew, did, did, do you have my faith? Um, where's my faith? Yo, Jesus, you're right. I don't have my faith right now. Maybe I left it on the shore. It kind of, uh, just, a, just a funny way of picturing it. But the reality is, folks, that it, we need to be intentional to walk in faith. And I want to use the analogy from Ephesians uh, chapter 6, where Paul the Apostle's looking at this Roman soldier that's guarding him. And he's looking at the various aspects of his armor. And he says, this aspect, the helmet, is like salvation that protects your thought life. The belt of truth. Truth keeps it all together. Shoes, breastplate of righteousness. And he says the shield. And he says, the shield is like your faith. Now what does a shield do to a Roman army, a soldier? It protects him. Your shield protects you. And in this situation, these disciples are in the boat. They're worried the boat is going to sink. They're full of fear. They need divine protection. And Jesus turns to them and says, where is your faith? And so we're going to look at the story. I'm going to unpack this. But I'm so reminded, many years ago when I was a student at his people at UCT, and um, my pastor had a prophetic word for somebody. And it was one of those words where it's like, that's not a nice, warm, sort of fuzzy prophetic word. He turned to somebody and said, pick up your shield of faith. You've dropped your shield of faith. And if so, if you can drop your shield of faith, don't you think that's very similar to this question where Jesus says, where is your faith? You know, sometimes... You know, sometimes it's great, it's going well, man, you had an awesome quiet time, you're walking in faith. But then sometimes it's just like, I've dropped my faith, I've dropped my shield. Um, I mean, I, I, I was just reflecting recently, I got a message from someone, and there was nothing in the message that should have made me feel like this, but I, it was maybe in the tone with which the message was written, I suddenly, I suddenly thought, oh my goodness, this person's offended with me. Now, there's nothing in the words of the, of the content of the message, but it was kind of the tone, I was like, this person's offended with me. You know, I thought we were good. 
And it sent me into a kind of a tailspin of a storm, not out there, but in here. How many of you know most of the storms are not out there at all? It's inside of here. It's in here. And I'm thinking, now I'm reflecting, did I, what did I say? Did I say something wrong? Did I not do something? You know, and you're going, and you're having the storm in your head. And you think, oh man, next time we meet, this person's going to tell me where to get off the bus, you know, kind of thing. And you know, the irony is, a um, little while later, a person sent another message. And I just realized this person isn't offended with me at all. We actually, you know, there's nothing wrong. But I had gone into this, this storm and dropped my faith dropped my shield of faith regarding this relationship, etc. And I was, you know, afterwards like, oh, why did I do that? It was unnecessarily stormy weather that I went through over there. I dropped my faith. Instead of trusting God that, no, okay, we're good, He's good, <laughs> we cool, etc. And, and I was just reflecting on that moment that I was not, I was not walking in faith, trusting God, with that particular relationship in that time. And so I want to say to you, you know, it could be a particular area of your life that you could drop your shield of faith. And I want us to look at this story and I want us to learn from this story. And, and, and look, my personal prayer and my personal desire is to keep my shield of faith up in every circumstance of life and not to drop my shield of faith. So let's go on. You know what I loved about looking and preparing for this message is I didn't know before you go to the next slide I didn't know how entrenched in let me say in, in culture the story of, of Jesus being in the boat with the disciples and calming the storm is and you know how you can tell how entrenched it is in culture when you look at all the sayings that are in culture because of it and I was blown out the water by just how many sayings they are about the story about Jesus being in the boat and calming the storm. So here's one of them for you on the next slide. It says, I'd rather go through a storm with Jesus in my boat than sail through life without Him. Okay, you can take photos and whatever. I was thinking we should put some of these quotes up. They're really good. I'd rather go through a storm with Jesus in my boat than sail through life without Him. And folks, you know the amazing thing about this story, and we'll read it, but I want to say, you know, in hindsight, you know, my dad always used to say, hindsight is an exact science. I mean, this is Jesus, the Savior of the world, prophesied he's going to die on a cross, etc. What do you think are the chances that he would have died drowning in a boat with his disciples? I mean, in hindsight, you're going to say, why were they freaking out? That, that would have never happened, Okay. But of course, when you're in the situation, you think you're going to die. It's the end of the world, you know. And, and I, I want us just to also to highlight that even though Jesus was in their boat, they were still freaking out. Freaking out is a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a nice way to say what the Bible describes. They were still freaking out even though Jesus was in the boat. But folks, they didn't drown. Jesus dealt with the situation, etc. And the interesting thing is that even though Jesus was in the boat with them, Jesus was still looking at them and saying, where's your faith? He was saying, yes, I'm with you, but I still want you to have faith. Okay? And sometimes we can kind of think, well, you know, if Jesus is with me, everything's going to be fine. I can drop my shield of faith, you know. No, no, no. Jesus is still 
wanting us to walk by faith even though he's right with us. And so there's so many things we can learn from this story. So let's jump into the story. And it, it's recorded in, in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we're looking at the Luke story, Luke 8.22, where it says, One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. Now folks, right there, Jesus said, we're going to the other side of the lake. He doesn't say, we're going to go across the lake, we're going to hit by a storm, and we're all going to drown. You know, if Jesus had said that, I would say, sorry Lord, I'm, I decline this trip, I'll walk around, okay. Jesus said, we're going to the other side. Folks, how many of you have promises from God, but you've had a storm en route, and you're kind of questioning, oh my goodness, was this God, did God really say? You know, Jesus said, we're going to the other side of the lake. And, and you know the consequence, he spoke it because he believed they would get to the other side and, 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 and he actually fell asleep. It says, if we read on, so they got into the boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. Jesus was confident in what he had spoken, so confident he fell asleep. But I also want us to highlight, can we see Jesus' humanity here? Folks, you sleep when you're tired. That had a whole day of ministry and you can read in your Bible what happened before that. That a whole day of ministry, Jesus is physically tired. He lived in a physical body just like yours, folks. He felt tired. He felt hungry. The Bible says he wept. Folks, the stuff you experience, you and I experience in this body, Jesus felt that. And this is what I love about my Jesus. Folks, this is what I love about the God that we serve. He doesn't sit uh, far away in another universe not knowing what you and I go through every day and every year. Folks, he's a, the Bible says he's acquainted with our sorrows. He's acquainted with our sorrows. Folks, the deepest pains that you've experienced, let me tell you, going to the cross, the rejection, etc. that Jesus experienced, your deepest valleys, Jesus has felt that stuff the same way you feel it. I love the fact that my Jesus feels the same stuff that I feel. And so when I go to Him, the Bible speaks of my Jesus as having, having compassion on people. When you come to Him in prayer and you come with your deepest disappointments and sorrows and pains and, and hurts, He's felt it the same way you feel it. And folks, that just, just endears me to my God. That makes me want to come to Him. It's not like, not like he doesn't know, he doesn't know what you... It makes me want to pray. It wants me to bring my, my, all my stuff to him and say, Lord, I'm bringing you, this is how I am. This is how messed up I'm feeling now. This is how confused I'm feeling now. This is how hurt I'm feeling. I come as I am because I know you know. You know this stuff, Jesus. Amen? And so he's not, you know, in a faraway universe, kind of on a crackly phone, you know, where he can hardly hear you. Ah, what are you saying? Folks, he's closer than, than your skin on your body because your skin's on your outside and Jesus is on the inside. I'm going to say that's, that, that's kind of close. He's close with you. But Jesus said, going, are we going over to the other side? And that should have made the disciples fall asleep, quite frankly. Because Jesus said, we're going to the other side. Relax, you know. But they didn't. Verse 23, as they sailed, he fell asleep. A windstorm came down on the lake. Now, a windstorm, folks, when, when I read this in the Bible, I pictured it immediately. We love going up to Midmar Dam, which is just next to Howick. And it's a beautiful dam, and 
you can, you know, there's, there's picnic sites around the dam. If you don't know, you, you pay at the gate and you can go for a day. You know what the cost is. I don't know, 20, 30, 40 rand a day per person. We sometimes go there. And we've seen this a number of times. Quite often in the afternoon, especially if, there's a, if there are storms around, thunderstorms around, to see a storm come over the dam or the lake is, is quite something to behold. Because you can look out over the dam and very often before a storm it's really quiet. It's eerily quiet. You know, the, there's, there isn't much wind, etc. It's, it's just little ripples going across the dam. And then you can literally see it's like a line where this side of the line, it's calm, your side of the line, and the other side, it's dark. You can see the, the, the water is, is being sh uh, shaken as the wind blows, and you can literally see as that windstorm blows over the lake. It's a line right across the lake, and usually this side, it's sort of shiny, and you know, usually the sun on this side, that side, it's dark because of the, uh, the, the clouds, etc. And it's, you can just see the water, it's like the water's being churned up. And what it is, it's that windstorm blowing over the lake. And what causes waves on water is wind. And it's one thing to be on the shore and to look at that windstorm blow over there. And you can watch, and sometimes it takes a while. You can see it blowing. And then, of course, if you're picnicking, when you see that, it's like, Jen, we need to pack up, you know, and everything's going in the car. And because, you know, together with that, often comes the rain, you know, as the thunderstorm moves closer. But it's another thing, let me tell you. I, I've, I enjoy canoeing and I've been a couple of times out on Midmar Dam where that windstorm hits you when you're out on the dam. And you know, when you're in a canoe, now when you're sitting in a canoe, okay, you know, whatever, the, the, the canoe is this waist high and the water's down there, you know, so when that winds, and when the wind, there are waves, say from here, that high on the dam, and you in a canoe. Let me tell you, you know about it, because those waves are breaking right over your canoe. And now you're going, <laughs> and you're thinking, I really don't want to fall in the dam, right in the middle of the dam. It's going to be a long swim to get back out there. And I have experienced high levels of anxiety before and after that windstorm hits you. Before you, you're paddling away, and this is so beautiful, it's such a, that windstorm hits you, and now, you know, your, your levels of anxiety going sky high because you are doing calculations how far it is to the shore and if we fall in over here, you know, how long will it take us to swim to shore, etc., etc. So I get the anxiety. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to make it very personal. I'm trying to explain to you kind of the anxiety these disciples must have felt. And as they saw that windstorm, you can see the wind blowing and coming across the lake. A windstorm came down the lake so that the boat was being filled with water and they were in great danger. Folks, we all know, boats full of water, it's, it's, it's not a good idea. And I just want to highlight that, folks, they were, they, they were in a boat with Jesus and they were in a major storm. A storm that was filling their boat with water. And folks, I wish I could say to you, come to Jesus and you'll have a storm-proof life, not another storm. I'm telling you, churches would be full across the world. People said, come to church, you don't have storms. Whether you serve God or you don't serve God, storms come. The worldwide pandemic hit everybody. Whether you were church-going folk or not, the pandemic hit everybody. And folks, I just want to say, just because you're a Christian, 
some, you know, some, sometimes we beat ourselves up because we're going through a storm and we kind of think we've done something wrong. Folks, the disciples did nothing wrong in these circumstances. They were following Jesus. Jesus said we're going to the other side. They were with Jesus and they ended up in a storm. Folks, storms happen whether you serve God or not. The question is, do you want to go through a storm with Jesus in your boat or without? And, you know, this, the, this thing of, of, of I did something wrong and therefore, folks, it's actually, it's actually very often you are thinking like, like an animist. Now, animism or animist religion is where people blame everything on the spiritual realm. So, in animism, you blame absolutely everything on the spiritual realm. The other extreme is secular humanism, where you just believe there's a physical realm and there's no, no spiritual realm, and so you're always looking for physical, like scientific explain, explanations for everything happened. Unfortunately, in Africa, where people have been expo exposed to, <laughs> let's say, a lot of spiritual stuff, they usually don't buy the, the humanist um, uh, uh, you know, explanation of the world. As Bible believers, where are we? We absolutely believe there's a spiritual realm and we believe there's a natural realm. And sometimes things are caused by spiritual things and sometimes it's by natural things. And, but God is in control of it all. This is what we learn from the story. Whether that storm was caused by just natural winds and forces or whether it was provoked and caused by spiritual forces of darkness in high places, we don't know. Jesus doesn't reveal this. I'll share my insights later. But what we see, Jesus is in control of both. He calms the storm, folks. Some translations say the lake was like glass afterwards. I want to just put up this quote on the next slide. It's uh, Warren Weasby said, Jonah ended up in a storm because of his disobedience. The disciples got into a storm because of their obedience to the Lord. Sometimes you're in a storm just because you're obeying God. Sometimes it could be a demonic onslaught. I don't always know in my, in my own life. I wish I knew. One day I will. I wish I knew if some of the storms I went through were spiritual in origin or just natural in origin. It doesn't matter. Jesus has authority over both realms. Amen. But if we carry on on the next slide. This is carrying on the story. The disciples went and woke him. Folks, how's your relationship with Jesus? Now, I'm not saying, you know, in this story, Jesus was sleeping. There are scriptures that speak about our God never slumbers nor sleeps. Okay? This was Jesus in his physical body on this earth. He slept. But let me tell you, your Father in heaven never sleeps. Scripture says he never sleep, slumbers nor sleeps. But even if you thought he was sleeping, how's your relationship with Jesus? Would you have the confidence to go and wake him if Jesus was in the natural and he was sleeping and you were in danger? How's your relationship with Jesus? I pray it is. I pray it is. Folks, there are times that we just, I just need Jesus. I just need Jesus. I, I'm like, Jesus, I need you. Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Folks, there's so much that happened in that line over there. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Folks, all was calm. That's where some translations literally describes the lake as it was like a glass. That's how smooth 
uh, how smooth it was. But what I want to what I want to highlight about this is it says there that he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. Now that word rebuke and that language is very often used when Jesus is actually addressing spiritual forces of darkness, demons and spiritual spiritual uh, spirits. Okay, and so. I've looked at this and the, the, the text of the scripture does not reveal whether the storm, the origin of the storm is demonic or whether it's just natural forces of, of you know, of uh, climat climatological forces. There's a big word for you. Climatological forces. We don't know. But if we look at Jesus' reaction, he's actually addressing this from a vantage point of spiritual authority. He says... The Bible says he got up and rebuked the wind and raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. And the next thing Jesus says is, where is your faith? There's, there's the title of my message, where is your faith? Folks, you know, it's interesting. Jesus doesn't say, sure guys, that was, a, that was quite a storm, hey? Wow. You are, he doesn't call me, you know, I was sleeping so, 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 so nicely. The next thing, and it's actually interesting, in, in one of the Gospels I was reading it, and these are disciples recounting the story was very well known. In one of them, he actually asked them first, where's your faith? And then he rebuked the storm. It doesn't matter. Folks, Jesus rebukes the storm, but his, what is he seeing? What is he seeing that's lacking in this picture? What is he seeing what's missing? What does Jesus identify as the thing that needs to be addressed? He's right there. Jesus is with him. But he says, where's your faith? The problem is they didn't have faith. Folks, walking with Jesus, knowing His presence, doesn't mean you can throw your faith away. It doesn't mean like, oh, Jesus is with me. Now, I don't need to walk by faith, exercise my faith, hold my shield of faith up. Jesus said, where is your faith? He asked His disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey Him. So they're amazed at this miracle, this the, the, this event that has just happened over here. On the next slide, having Jesus in your boat does not mean you will face no storms. It means your boat will not sink. It means your boat will not sink. What does that look like? You know, folks, I wish, I, say, I said, I wish coming to Jesus means you don't have storms. Okay, what are the storms? I've experienced the storms of huh, failing some exams. Okay, I wish I could say, come to Jesus and you will fail. You'll pass every test and exam you ever write in your life. I wish I could say that, that coming to Jesus means every relationship that you ever have will always be amazing. I wish I could say, everybody will always like you and be so nice to you. I wish I could say that, I mean, think of it, that every business idea that you have will just prosper. And folks, that's just not life. I mean, I'm reminded of uh, uh, Thomas Edison, the famous American inventor who invented the light bulb, the, the old-fashioned light bulb, not these fancy LED ones. And, and he was a famous inventor, when he, he, already famous, when he came to apply his mind to an electric light bulb. He's, he'd invented, I mean, I, there's a list, the things he invented is quite incredible, I forget the, the whole list. Um, anyway, and so it was actually reported in the news now that... Uh, Thomas Edison was working on an electric light bulb. And everybody was like, if anybody in the world is going to, you know, 
discovered an electric light bulb, it was him. And that was at a time where literally we were, we as the world was discovering electricity and the potential of electricity and what you could do with it. And um, there had been attempts before at light bulbs, but the problem was they never lasted. Uh, they would last like a day or two, and who wants to replace a light bulb every two days? And anyway, and a reporter came to him, and he'd been working on this for quite a, quite a long time already. And people were losing hope this was possible, that generating light from electricity was actually a viable option. And the reporter came to him and said, you know, aren't you very dis discouraged because you've tried so many different ways to discover this light bulb? And Thomas Edison said something amazing to this reporter. He said, I have, what I have done is discovered 10,000 ways how not to make a light bulb. But I'm still going to find out how to make it. And his great breakthrough was discovering that the filament of the light bulb needed to be tungsten which lasts a long time, and that was his great breakthrough. But why am I mentioning Thomas Edison? He said, I've discovered 10,000 ways how not to make a light bulb. Folks, maybe for you, you've discovered different ways of how not to study for an exam. You've discovered ways how not to do relationships, how not to run your business, how not to... But folks, it doesn't mean that your boat is going to sink. And so, how we define success, how we define walking with Jesus is so important. Is so important. I want to pick up in the Passion, in Luke 8.24. The Passion Bible, I'm looking at these same verses, these last two verses, and the Passion Bible highlights something very interesting. Because I'm looking at and I'm saying, how did Jesus minister? What to, to this in this situation. And it says in the Passion, with great authority, Jesus rebuked the howling wind and surging waves. And I underlined great authority, folks, because authority speaks about a hierarchy, speaks about a spiritual realm that has dimensions. It goes on, and if I want to, want to the bottom there, it says, shocked and shaken, they said with amazement to one another, Who is this man who has authority over winds and waves that they obey him? And I want to pick up this word authority because, folks, in this situation, Jesus is looking at their faith. And Jesus can't be highlighting their lack of faith if he's not operating in faith. But it says more that Jesus spoke and ministered from authority. And I want to say to you that when you operate in faith, it gives you spiritual authority in spiritual dimensions. Very often, I, I'm amazed, people who are, who are walking in faith can come across arrogant, where actually what you are seeing is the spiritual authority that they're walking in. Because spiritual authority comes by walking in faith in the one that you have your faith in. Spiritual authority is not... And, and, and I want to unpack this. It's not something that you see just in and of yourself. That is called arrogance. But it's because the one you submitted to, the one you committed to, the one you have faith in, there's an authority that flows. And I want to unpack this. Just another quote. John Newton said this, With Christ in the boat, I can smile at the storm. And apparently Jenny said there's a song like that. John Newton's the famous guy who wrote Amazing Grace, by the way. With Christ in the boat, I can smile at the storm. But let's go on. 
I want to put this scripture. This is the scripture where Jesus sends out the 70. They come back with joy and they're amazed that even demons were subject to them. They were casting demons out of people. And this is Jesus' response. He, he says, Behold, I give you the authority, there's the Greek word, exousia, to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power, dunamis, the Greek word for power, of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. This is what Jesus is saying when they come back. He's saying, this is what happened, guys. He says, I gave you authority, exousia, and, and scorpions and, 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 and serpents speak about the demons. It's a, it's a metaphor for the demonic realm. And he says, over all the dunamis, the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. I want to unpack these two words. Because remember, Jesus in the storm situation was flowing in authority. That's what the disciples saw. They said, wow, this dude has authority. They did not say he had power. They used the word exousia, not dunamus. See, Jesus didn't calm the storm from power. He calmed it from authority. There's a huge difference. And I want to highlight this to you. Folks, when you walk in faith, you are walking in authority that, yes, causes you to address something that may have power. And I want to say this, the enemy has power. You'd be foolish not to recognize that. But, but does that mean we need to be fearful? No, because in the spiritual realm, authority matters more than power. So you're facing a storm, folks. There are storms that you actually, by faith, have authority to address in Jesus' name, but it's from authority, not from power. Even though you recognize there's power behind what's happening. And I want to just unpack this, if, you, if we just click again. Exousia is the, is the word authority, the Greek word for authority. And it, from, it comes from the Greek word existi, meaning it is lawful or right to act. When you say it's lawful, can you see it's a different dimension? We are, we, we are moving to the realm of spiritual, spiritual laws of the universe. And so that is when we talk about authority. That's what we're talking about. When we talk about power, dunamis, power is to be able to or the inherent ability to do something. Okay, power, for example, a guy with big muscles, okay, um, and I won't pull out any examples over here because the guys in our church are very humble, so I won't, I won't pull anybody to the front to give a demonstration, okay, but a, a guy with big muscles, we would easily say has power, but there could be a lady, I'm just using an opposite equivalent, who is physically built very slight, but when she prays, there's authority. It's like, whoa, what just happened now? The big guy with muscles can pray, and you're just like, there's nothing in that prayer that that guy's praying. And you can discern it. You know when you discern authority, it's when somebody's ministering. For example, Jesus ministered there. He spoke to the storm. They were like, I'm seeing authority over here. They didn't speak. Jesus didn't have more power. In his physical body, he had a body like you and me. He didn't address the storm with physical body. You know, in these, in these uh, Marvels, uh, you know, these Avengers and those kind of movies, the superheroes have powers, but they're not 
they not it's not authority it's power usually the guy has super super power and it's with power that he addresses things not with authority in the spiritual realm it is about authority and authority comes from the one you are submitted to who are you under who's your lord folks your spiritual authority is derived from that who is your lord and i can share so many stories of this but in matthew 28 we love the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Yes, we're going. It's inspired our movement. Every nation, which is the network of churches we are part of, inspired by that. But before that, Jesus said this, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Folks, it's that's the reason we get to go. is because He has all authority. And what does He do with that? He delegates it to you and to me and says, go into your metron. Go to your family and friends. As you submit to me, you have authority to go to your work colleagues, to go to your classmates, to go to your cousins and uncles and aunts. You have authority to go. Amen? Why? Because we submitted to the one who has all authority. Jesus doesn't like, I've got all authority, I'm going to hold it to myself. He says, I want to give it away to 10 million people who call themselves Christians who put their faith in me. You get to walk in that authority. It is incredible, this concept of authority. Bill Johnson said this on the next slide. We have authority over any storm we can sleep in. Ha <laughs> ha. Pause and contemplate. We have authority over any storm we can sleep in. I want to share a personal example with you. When I was a student, we did a mission um, from, from Cape Town. Uh, amazing mission because I got to know this girl called Jenny Freshman on the mission. I encourage you, go on missions. Who knows what could happen? Okay. And um, um, we, we came to northern KwaZulu-Natal, an area called Zamazama. Now, we didn't know it when we went. We discovered when we were there that this area was a place where traditional uh, healers, witch doctors, sangomas go to for training. So it is a spiritual, let's say, spiritually intense place. For And we had a guy with us who had been a, a, a Satanist, actually a Satanist high priest. When we got to the place, you know how found out about this. When we got to the place, he said, I've been here before. I came here to be trained in occult arts and, and to learn uh, various, I don't know what you learn in places like that. Don't even want to know, so don't ask me. Okay, but he'd been there. And we're like, whoa, this is interesting. Folks, the spiritual climate was intense. And so how we did the mission, folks, it, incredibly rural area, people staying in mud huts, grass roofs, etc. We brought our tents with, we went to go wash in the river, you know, where you stand in the river with one foot and you just sort of rub as much as you can with a cloth, etc. It's wonderful. I prefer a shower, okay, to washing in the river, okay. I had a wonderful time. But, and how we did this is we would show the Jesus film at night. So during the day, we would go chat to people, invite them, and we would find a, an, a, an open area. And at night, we'd put up the screen, open air, folks, put up the screen. Uh, we had a generator that would run the projector, and we showed the Jesus film in Isizulu. And we'd put it on the big screen. I mean, the screen was, you know, bigger than our screen over here, a nice big screen. And we would get probably about two, three hundred people and as we were, we would start playing music and, and throughout the movie, people would just be coming out of the dark, out of the bushes. They would come walking, who knows for how many miles, they would come to watch the movie. And every night while the movie was being shown, 
we had a team at the back praying. And we were praying in the spirit. Okay, We were praying in tongues, interceding, that people would, would just get a, get, hear the gospel. And that's what it, the Jesus film is basically the story. I think it's Matthew, where they basically, people are acting out the gospel story. And, and, we, and, and after the movie, we would do an altar call and ask people to surrender their lives to Jesus, and etc. And we were praying there, and the spiritual climate was heavy. When I say heavy, you know, it was difficult to pray in the Spirit. And, and I don't want to give glory to the enemy in any way, but there was a moment when we were praying, and there were probably about seven or eight people, Jenny was there, seven or eight, maybe ten of us in a circle, students praying, and we are praying in the Spirit. Suddenly, there was this wet, clammy, and I'm explaining it, this wet, clammy fear that just, just came over us. It was spiritual, but that's how I described it. One guy, I'm telling you, he was a big guy. He had muscles. He was a first-team UCT rugby player, big guy. He just started whimpering in fear. He literally started crying. He said, oh, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared. A big guy. He had power. If anybody in that group you would think would be big and brave, this guy, first team UCT rugby player, was whimpering. Oh, I'm scared. I'm scared. And, he, and the thing is, he's giving voice to that demonic spirit that's trying to oppress the whole meeting. It was amazing what happened. Firstly, I didn't feel fear. I got angry. Inside of me, my spirit rose. And I was like, what? The devil is attacking the prayer meeting? Wow, well, we meant to be attacking the devil. This is, this is, this is, I don't like this. And I, I, my tongues went up a notch. You know, I was praying, I went, and there was a spiritual authority that came inside of me. And I started praying scriptures. And I said, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Jesus gave us authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means harm me. Devil in Jesus' name, get out of there. I was surprised by myself. What happened? Spiritual authority. But I didn't get fearful, folks. It was incredible. I recognized there was a spirit of fear trying to oppress us. And it's happened at least two or three times in my life. We have literally felt a spirit of fear. And I can smell it. I sense it. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been around some of that spiritual stuff. And you know what I'm talking about. Now, you can come under that thing. Or you can rise above it. And it's not in power. I didn't start flexing my muscles and say, Hey, I've been to the gym for like three weeks. You know, It was not a power thing, folks. It's spiritual authority. It's submitting to... The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one who has all authority. And you speak and you minister from a place of authority. Folks, I remember my pastor saying years ago, there are times that we just regularly need to do spiritual warfare prayers over our lives. Because I'm telling you, I wish I could discern if the storm I'm going through has a spiritual authority, uh, spiritual origin, if it's a demonic origin, or if it's just natural climatic forces, you know, the wind and the waves due to heating and cooling of the planet, or if this is spiritual. I don't know. But how about just sometimes you just make sure it's not spiritual and you address things in the spirit. And how do you pray? You pray with authority, faith in Jesus, in the name of Jesus. If you can quote some scriptures and you rebuke the enemy, why don't you do it? Amen? Just to make sure there's no spiritual origin behind what you're going through. And so... We have authority over any storm we can sleep in. I mentioned this here because it's interesting. In that situation, I did not feel fear. 
This big friend of mine felt fear. He didn't actually have authority to pray. I had the authority in that situation because I felt faith rising up. I actually, there was a righteous indignation. How can the devil attack us as the, as the prayer warriors over here? And, 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 and anyway, we prayed and it lifted. We prayed in, in authority, not in power. We prayed in authority. We agreed and it lifted. And that guy who was whimpering, he was fine. It's like it's lifted. You can feel when that fierce that thing lifts. Now, I'm not, I'm not making this up, folks. My wife's here. And, and when I'm talking, I know some of you say, I know what you are. I have felt that clammy, wet fear thing. I can discern it. But maybe when you felt it, you didn't know what it was and you didn't know how to address it, folks. I'm telling you, you have authority. My deep conviction that you have spiritual authority in your metron to address every spiritual force of weakness that comes against you in your metron. Your metron is your sphere of influence, the area that God has given you authority over. Christians often get the spiritual authority wrong on two fronts. Firstly, they go beyond their metron and they try and address forces and spiritual uh, forces of weakness in high places that they don't have authority over, etc. And I'm just saying, don't be gung-ho with spiritual warfare and go to places that you know you don't have spiritual authority. Your metron, yes. Your, your life, your family, your friends, your business, your church, your suburb, your city... Within, within, let me say, just stay within your metron. Okay. The other thing that people get it wrong is spiritual authority with people. And just because in the spirit you have spiritual authority, you now want to start bossing other people around and telling them where to get off the bus and how far to jump in the lake and all those kind of things. Folks, and they lose it with people and they become arrogant and rude with people because you have spiritual authority does not mean you can get rude with people and be unkind. And I have heard some spiritual leaders, the way they talk to people, and it's just cringe stuff. And I'm like, that authority, you address spiritual force of weakness in your metron. Don't speak to people like that. Amen. So I'm, I'm, I absolutely, spiritual authority is real, folks. On the next slide, Jesus exercised his authority as a delegated authority. What's a delegated authority? Authority that was given to him. So this is important to understand. Authority comes because you submit to authority. You come under the authority. But that spiritual authority that you submit to can also delegate, give you spiritual authority. And this is the scripture for this. In John 5. Jesus said, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the, the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority, underlined for you, to execute judgment because he's the Son of Man. Folks, when you come under, and, and this is also to recognize, in, in the kingdom of God, as in the kingdom of darkness, there are different realms and different levels of spiritual authority. And that is given by God. It's the grace of God. Okay? Some people and you... Folks, I, I remember Pastor Jim LaFoon was saying this once. He was speaking to us as leaders. It was a leaders meeting. And he said, he said it is very important for, for, for Christian and spiritual leaders to minister because it is when you are ministering in your authority that people can discern the authority with which you walk in. I often have spoken to our leaders in our local church and I say, I want you to bring the word 
at church on Sunday because it's as you are ministering that people, and it's not with the head, it's with your spirit. You can discern that person has spiritual authority. So the leadership mantle they are walking in, I recognize that I can see that when they are ministering. You know, with Jesus, when he was sleeping, the disciples didn't marvel while he's lying there on the pillow. Some of the translation was lying. They didn't say, wow, Jesus got amazing spiritual authority. Guys, it isn't he. It was when he rebuked the wind and the waves. They were like, whoa, he's got spiritual authority, okay? And so leaders need to step up to the plate and minister because it's in that place. And, and you know what? People recognize and it brings a settledness to people's hearts, recognizing spiritual authority. Because it, remember, it's recognizing spiritual authority and coming under spiritual authority that you also can get delegated spiritual authority. So what, is, what am I saying? There are people... There are, there, are, there are leaders, Christian leaders, that have phenomenal spiritual authority that's delegated from God. And it's not just proportional to how much you come under God. There's no doubt about that. But it's by the grace of God, God's giftings and callings. Part of His, 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 His gifting and calling is spiritual authority that He gives to some people. And, and we don't always know exactly how much and who to. I want to tell you about General Wainwright. Just an example of spiritual authority. Uh, don't put the text up. I'll tell the story. It's, it's too much text. So this is a true story of General Wainwright in the Second World War. He was an American U.S. Army general. He was, um, he was taken as a prisoner of war by the Japanese. Now, the Japanese in the Second World War, their prisoner of war camps were horrendous. The way they treated, the way they tortured the prisoners of war... They, they literally, many prisoners of war, starved to death. They hardly gave them any food. And they tortured them relentlessly, etc. So you did not want to be a prisoner of war in a Japanese concentration camp. And General Wainwright had the misfortune to be in this concentration camp. And these Japanese guards were torturing him, rel torturing him relentlessly. He was totally emaciated. His legs were just bone, you know, big knees because, because of the joint you can see. And he was really emaciated. It was right towards the end of the war, 1945. And General Wainwright got a message and heard that they had dropped, um, the, um, you know, the U.S. had dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Nagasaki those atomic bombs, and that Japan had surrendered and had signed surrendered. And he got the message that Japan had surrendered through the, in the night. He got the message. And so these Japanese guards came into his cell to torture him the next morning. And they came in, and he was lying on his bed. And they came in, and they wanted, they wanted him to get out of bed. And slowly, he got off his bed, and slowly got up very weak, very emaciated. And he stood up, and he said, from now on, I am the commander around here. Drop your weapons. These two Japanese guards had power. They could have whacked him. They had power, but they did not have authority anymore. Both of them dropped their rifles and stood and awaited orders from General Wainwright. Japan had surrendered to the United States in the Second World War. In that moment, authority had shifted to General Wainwright. Authority, folks, not power. He was weak. In his physical body, he could not address and, and uh, you know, he couldn't take on those guards and tackle them and take them. He couldn't. It was authority. He stood in his authority. Folks, you have authority. 
in your metron, how about you standing up and saying, from now on, I'm in charge around you. Not in an arrogance, but you're talking to spiritual force of wickedness in dark places. Don't speak to your wife like that, okay? Don't speak to your kids like that, okay? Don't speak to whoever, your boss like that. You could be in a work situation, folks, where you know you have the spiritual authority in that place because you're a believer. Your, your boss is not a believer, but you don't address your boss. You still come under and submit to him as your boss in the natural but in the spiritual, you could know, I have the spiritual authority in this place. And what does that mean? We can address spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. You can shift the atmosphere. You can change things. The whole lake became calm like glass. The atmosphere, the, wa- the wind, the waves changed. Because I believe Jesus addressed things in the spiritual realm. My personal conviction is, that that storm was caused by demonic influence. That's my conviction. I can't justify it from Scripture. I'm saying this simply. If I look at the language Jesus used, and if I look at the response the disciples had to Jesus, they were looking at authority. They were like, whoa, spiritual authority happened here and right now. And I want to say, how about you? How about you? Jesus said this on the next slide. This is John 14. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, the Father in me? The words that I speak to you do not speak on my own authority, but the Father. Folks, there are words that you can speak on the authority of heaven. It's like, I am addressing the situation now. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me. Folks, remember I started off, Jesus said, where's your faith? Folks, faith. Unlock spiritual authority that we need to walk in. He who believes in me, it's not in your own amazingness, although you are amazing, created in the image of God. It's because you submitted to God. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Folks, this is speaking to you and me. The works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Folks, what are those greater works? What are those greater works? Folks, you know, Jesus only ministered for three years. And he did quite a lot. You and I, you know, on average will be on this planet for 70 plus years. How much influence, how many people can you influence in a lifespan of 70 years? I want to submit you, you know, they say the average person will influence 10,000 people in their lifetime. Jesus only ministered for three years. How many people did he see in a small nation, etc.? How many people did he minister to? I don't know. You could get to influence more people in your lifetime, 70 years, than Jesus did in his three years. Talk about greater works. I don't know what it looks like. But folks, I'm challenged that, you know, there's some storms in your life that I'm, I'm challenged to pick up my, pick up my faith. And speak to the storm. And speak to the storm. And so, I, I'm thinking, I said in the prayer meeting, I wasn't sure how to land this. I'm wanting us to pray together. And you know, I find when I want to do spiritual warfare, authority prayer, standing is just better. So how about you stand with me? Let's stand. Let's stand. And folks, I want... I want us to just speak 
speak to the metaphorical storms in our lives. And you are speaking into your Metron. Folks, you have authority in your Metron. You have authority in your Metron as a believer. And it firstly comes because you have submitted to He who has all authority. And if you, I just want to tell you, if you are here and you have not submitted your life to Jesus who has all authority, don't, just, just don't pray because you don't have authority if you don't submit to Jesus. This authority flows from Jesus and he delegates authority to some as well in different levels. But folks, it is because you are submitted to Jesus. And I'm going to pray a prayer now. And the first thing we are going to pray is just once again coming under his authority. This isn't arrogant, me, myself, and I prayer, okay? So would you pray with me? Say, Lord Jesus, you have all authority. And I come under that authority. I submit myself to you wholeheartedly. Every area of my life. Be Lord, Be Lord of my whole life. Whole life. Right, now, Jesus, right now, Jesus, I thank you, I thank you for, the for the spiritual authority you have given me, have given in, me my metron. in my metron. And I right now, and I right now speak, to my I speak to my storms. I speak to the wind. I speak to and I say, Be still. I speak to the waves and I say be still in Jesus name I speak to every force of darkness assigned to my life and I say be gone in Jesus name I command you to flee in Jesus name I plead the blood of Jesus over me I thank you for divine protection. And I thank you for peace, Lord. Your peace that passes understanding. In Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Woo! Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit our website at www.hispeoplepmb.co.za and for more of our messages, visit our YouTube and SoundCloud channels as well as other podcast platforms. If you would like to contact us, please email us at hispeoplepmb at gmail.com or send a message to 061-452-0877. We hope to see you soon. God bless you.